Welcome to the GAHI Leadership Podcast. The Georgia Association of Healthcare Executives, or GAHI, is committed to the development of leadership skills, knowledge exchange, and networking opportunities. GAHI represents a broad range of healthcare executives, professionals, consultants, and students throughout the state of Georgia. Thanks for joining the GAHI Podcast. I'm Stephanie Troncali, a member of the Gahi Transcendre Subcommittee, which produces podcasts, webinars, and live events related to all aspects of healthcare executive management. Today, we're joined by Dane Henry, the CEO of Partners Cooperative, which is a not-for-profit support services company serving not-for-profit hospitals, governmental authority hospitals, and university-based academic health systems. Currently, they have close to 40 member organizations and manage 700 plus contracts in their portfolio. Thanks for joining us, Dane. To get started, tell us about your background and experience and how you came to Partners Cooperative. Sure, Steffi. Thanks. It's good good to be here today and I appreciate you having me and giving me an opportunity to to talk a little bit about what Partners does and how we fit into the increasingly complicated landscape of not just health systems, but but supply chain specifically. So um, my background, um, obviously, you know, undergrad in uh, purchasing and materials management, and then I have an MBA both from Florida State uh, down in Tallahassee. And out of uh, out of grad school, was in the military, worked in uh, medical logistics. So for the the former military uh, medical service corps officers that we may have in the audience today, I'm I'm a, a former medlog officer. Um, after serving for about seven or eight years in the Air Force, um, we moved up to Atlanta, and I worked for uh, for Tenet Health Systems, and then uh, Northeast Georgia, DeKalb, um, Atlanta Medical Center for you know, gosh, a total of around twenty years, and then um, from two thousand six on through around twenty 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 one, was actually on the board of Partners Cooperative because Northeast Georgia and DeKalb Medical, uh, where I worked, you know, for that period of time was was actually those were both members member hospitals of Partners Cooperative, and um, then in um, about two years ago uh, left, I was the the CEO of Lake Regional Health System, which is located at uh, Lake of the Ozarks in Missouri. And we also were a member of Partners Cooperative. And I, when I left that organization, I came over here and transitioned uh, with the, the, the then retiring president of Partners and took over as the president um, effective in January of, uh, of this year. Great. Well, tell us a bit about the members of Partners. What's what's some of the diversity of your member organizations? Sure. So, um, as you said in the in the introduction, you know we service you know really nonprofit health systems, um, whether they're community health systems, uh, large regional systems, academic medical centers that are part of university health systems, or or single site you know small health systems. Um, some of our largest members uh, across our our cooperative. I'll give you sort of the, the top three or four, um, Memorial Herman, which is located in, in Houston, Texas, they're our largest member. They spend around $1.4 billion every year in, in supplies and pharmacy. So they're, they're our largest member, followed uh, pretty closely by 
um, Duke University over in North Carolina, uh, UAB in uh, in Birmingham, and Wellstar here actually in Atlanta. Wellstar is one of our, our top four biggest, and with the, the merger that they have currently underway uh, with Augusta University down in Augusta, they will be, I think, our second largest member at that, at that point in time. And they're actually also our oldest member from 2003. So we have really large, you know, member health systems like that that are both just large community health systems and or academic health systems that are either private universities in the case of Duke or uh, public universities like UAB in Alabama. And then on the other end of the continuum um, are two smallest members. Um, one is a health system in Alabama called Coosa Valley, which is located in uh, little Silatoga, Alabama over there right south of Talladega. And then our smallest health system is a really small hospital right south of Knoxville called uh, Sweetwater. And Sweetwater spends around $9 million uh, per year on medical supplies and pharmaceuticals. So if you compare and contrast them with uh, Memorial Hermann on the opposite end of the spectrum, we always joke that Memorial Hermann has has single nursing units that probably spend more on supplies every year than than Sweetwater does for their entire system. But, you know, the beauty of it is these smaller health systems like that that are in, you know, somewhat, you know, isolated and or, you know, rural to semi-rural communities, um, they get the influential power and access to the, the purchasing power through a cooperative that is, you know, in, in some ways sort of spearheaded by some very, very large nationally or even internationally recognized health systems. So it provides them a lot of value that just because of the way our industry is set up and the way supply chain works in healthcare, they wouldn't have necessarily the ability to drive those savings for their bottom line that, that we're able to do by bringing them into partners and, be, and, and honestly being part of our family. And because of the way we're structured as a nonprofit cooperative, they actually get a seat on our board and they become part of our governance structure. So it's a really good thing for for smaller health systems that would otherwise be, you know, somewhat limited in their ability to have have presence or or mass, if you will, in the market and supply chain. Yeah, but that's um, a, a big help to them. Well, it's quite uh, quite a diverse group of organizations. So, how does one become a member of Partners? Uh, I understand not for profit. How else are the criteria? Sure, sure. So there's really, um, really only just a couple of couple of tangible criteria, and then there's one that's a, that's an intangible that that I'll spend a couple of minutes talking about. Um, obviously, as as we've said a couple of times, nonprofit community health systems or academic systems, um, they can be you know university based, you know state governmental type entities, and a good example of that is the University of Missouri located in Columbia, Missouri, they're part of the, the state government's, you know, uh, you know, university system. So um, those types of organizations, um, you know, the few remaining authority hospitals that are that are out there, you know, a lot of those have reorganized under a 501c3, 501c3 nonprofit status. But, you know, in instances where we run across organizations that are um, still authority-based uh, nonprofits. Those, those um, entities can become members of partners. Um, really importantly is they have to be a member of Vizient as their national GPO partner. Um, obviously there's Vizient Premier and HPG are really the three you know, largest uh, national GPOs uh, that, that exist in, in our industry given some of the consolidations that have occurred. Vizient is, is certainly by far the largest of, of those three. Um, 
Um, a lot of our contracts, you know, we, we, we will tap into, you know, Vizient pricing structures and we'll do some tier aggregation and advancement agreements. Um, so there is a necessity to be a member of Vizient so that you can access those agreements. You know, Partners is as, as a nonprofit 501E um, hospital and health services support corporation. We are also a member, a dues paying member, independent organization, um, you know, with Vizient. So we require that, that membership. And then our board of directors has to vote to allow an organization to enter into the, the cooperative. Um, so those are the really, you know, the, the essential tangible, um, requirements. One of the, really to me though, one of the most important characteristics that makes a hospital a, a good member of partners is their willingness to actively engage with us and actively participate in the processes that we utilize for strategic sourcing and strategic contracting. Mm -hmm. um, we are what you call in the industry a non-commit model, which means we don't require you as a health system, you know, health system to do anything. I mean, we have, as you said earlier, over 700 contracts with around 200 different suppliers. We cover virtually the entire waterfront of all medical, surgical, and pharmaceutical acquisition needs that the majority of hospitals will need. I mean, we don't really get a lot into physician preference mm -hmm. type items. There's other organizations that that work really well in those areas that are complementary to us. But in the med surge pharmacy um, end of the world, we we work really really well in that in that area. But it's important that you participate. It's important that the leadership team um, in the supply chain function or, you know, and, and it works even better when the CFO, um, COO, those types of folks that are the senior leaders of an organization are actively involved in our processes. Because, again, we don't require a hospital to do anything. And in, in, I mean, in, in hypothetical terms, a health system could join us. Um, they could spend, you know, just making up a number $200 million a year in, in med surge supplies and pharmaceuticals. And our, our analytics work for them before they join could indicate that they have a savings opportunity of around, you know, anywhere between 10 to $15 million per year. And that's not an unusual number for us when we convert a health system into, into partners. But they could choose to do nothing. I mean, they could choose to be completely, um, you know, non-participative and be a member. You know, they're not going to get anything out of it. But again, we do offer just the ability for, you know, it's important. It's important for us. Probably the best way to say it is we realize even though most of the people here at partners have worked in hospitals for a long time. And some of us have been, you know, obviously even senior leaders. I've been a COO and a CEO. The people that work in these hospitals know how to run these hospitals. They know what needs to occur in their market for their organization with their community and the mission that they're trying to achieve. But we're not in a position to make those decisions. We are, you know, I'll, I'll say very advisory in nature. We offer tremendous opportunities, but it is up to the, the individual members to make the decisions whether or not to take those opportunities and advance their savings profile or not. Um, so again, we're we're very much a voluntary participation type of an organization, and I think that makes us really, really different. And that also, I think, culturally makes us fit really well with nonprofit health systems, particularly those that are locally governed. So. Great. So you know how um, how do you see some of the, what do you see are some of the challenges and 
and greatest risk to your organizations around um, the supply chain and cost control? Sure. Sure. You know, I think right now, um, you know, we are we're so fortunate that, you know, hopefully and I mean, I'm knocking on wood as I make this statement. Hopefully the the pandemic is effectively behind us. I know, you know, the current the current you know thinking is, you know, COVID is something that's going to be with us, but it's not something that's going to consume us perhaps any longer. And I think we're blessed to be in that position now. But obviously the economic and financial damage that was done to our economy, um, to our industry, the challenges that that we faced and continue to face in hospitals have have not gone away. You know, I think having been a CEO during the pandemic and as many of the listeners on this podcast will recall the moment that somebody walked into their office and said, we've got our first patient. I mean, I'll never forget that moment. And I think just understanding the indelible impressions that that has left upon our industry um, financially, we've not recovered from it. You know, supply chain, you know, from a global standpoint is still unsteady. Um, you know, we walk in the office one day and we've got sterile water issues. We walk in next week and there's a pharmaceutical issue. And, you know, I think that those are the things that in many instances, they do two things. Number one, they keep supply chain leaders from being the strategic leaders that they could be and need to be because they're too busy fighting fires. And I think that that's one thing that we've all become over the last couple of years as professional firefighters is we, we what do we have to do to get through today because there's a challenge in front of us that we can't move beyond until it's solved. So I think in the, you know, I'll say it, in the basements and the hallways where us supply chain folks live and work, that's that's our day-to-day reality. But I also think, and and I and I firmly believe as you look across our membership and you read any of the the content that comes across the web or your emails or wherever you get your, you know, your industry news from, we're starting to see the cascade of this hospital letting go people, this hospital laying off people, this hospital reducing services or reducing staff. And I think that, you know, as I look across the membership and and we have many organizations that have been tremendously, tremendously successful for decades. And some of those organizations now are having to come to terms with the fact that they're not in the financial position of strength and stability that they once were even just a few short years ago. And the answers to solving those problems are not easy. And it takes courageous leadership and it takes you know, sometimes a little bit of luck and a lot of tenacity to, to get through some of the challenges that I think our industry faces and that our hospitals are facing. And in the in the context of global and, and, and national news, you don't hear a lot about the struggles of healthcare. I mean, the news is consumed with a whole variety of things that have nothing to do with healthcare. And I think that the challenges that are being faced by the hospitals of America you know, I know that the AHA and AMA and other entities are advocating strongly and lobbying, obviously, for our for our industry and trying to keep our needs and challenges um, for what you know you you call it an essential industry. I mean, it just it is. It, we you know America can't can't survive without its hospitals and its hospitals need to be healthy, but you know, there's not a lot of conversation about that. There's too many other things that are that are better newsmakers and we sort of fall into the into the background. So I think, you know, 
hospital, you know, people at home understand what's going on with the inflationary pressures that they face and understanding the budgetary challenges that they have, you know, domestically at home. But I don't think that the population in general really understands the plight that hospitals are still in and how many of our hospital members or how many of our hospitals across the country, whether they're in partners or busy or not, are, you know, struggling and trying to figure out how to, you know, how to save money and how to get back to a point of, you know, operating in the black because they can't continue to operate in the red, you know, for, you know, perpetually. So, you know, that's where we, where we come in and we can find and dig for and dredge up tons and tons of savings for hospitals. And I think that's one of the things that I'm most proud of, you know, the work that the people do here at Partners. Um, I mean, I always say I'm like the dumbest person in the room. I've got so many just in, incredibly talented, hardworking, analytically minded folks that just dig and dig and dig and dig and find and find savings for their hospitals. And, you know, we work really hard to communicate that out and work with our contracted suppliers to make sure that we can drive that value. Um, because obviously that's something that, that health systems need. There's not a lot of pennies that are extra laying around. And, you know, certainly the institutions that are in less urban, you know, I'll say less payer mix advantaged geographies are really, really struggling with that. And we, we recognize that and, and we stand ready to, to help our members in any way we possibly can. So I think that's, that's probably one of the most prevailing, you know, challenges. Um, I, I'd like to kind of end this section though on a high note. You know, I'm one of those few people that actually went to college and got a degree in materials management and supply chain. And, you know, forever our our segment of the industry and and our our professional colleagues, we've been stuck in the basement. We're we are the people that have offices without windows. And you know, we're, we're lucky to get, you know, a new desk chair every once in a while. And that's just been kind of the plight and, and maybe in some ways the badge of honor of folks that work in supply chain. You know, we're down by the warehouse where we need to be. And I think, you know, as you, as you look at what are the good things that came from the pandemic, one of the few good things that came from the pandemic is that people now look at supply chain and they understand the absolute essentiality of what we do. And they understand what happens when people that work in that warehouse and people that work in sourcing and analytics and the other departments that we have, when we're not able to function as effectively as we know we would like to or need to, things stop happening, hospitals stop working. And we are an absolute, I call it a Velcro department. I mean, we help it all stick together. And I think that supply chain leaders and professionals have finally started getting the nod from the C-suite that we've earned and we've deserved for a long, long time. So I think that that's one of the most positive things that came out of it is, is a recognition of the true significance of this profession and what it can mean to hospitals and, and what it's like when it works well and how bad it can be when, when we're having trouble getting things to keep the hospital running. So I think that's been a really, really good outcome for it is, you know, we're finally getting the heck yes that I think we've, we've deserved for a long, long time. But obviously I'm, I'm very biased in that, in that area as well. Yeah, well, I, I think that's really important. I mean, we, I, you know, having worked in hospitals and, you know, we've worked together, it, it, 
people do they they just see an mri machine but they don't really think about well what it, what did it take to get that mri machine in and the equipment that it took and the people that it took and the negotiations that it took yep. to get the best price possible for that yep. um and yeah i mean we did learn that when we you know what made the news in the pandemic was there weren't enough surgical masks or there weren't enough you know ppe ppe <laughs> personal protection. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, if I could talk. Um, and uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we are seeing that materials management, supply chain, cost containment, it needs to be one of the largest parts of the, the conversation mm-hmm. um, in running these organizations. Um, yeah. So I think that's a great, great point. Um, so, you know, you spoke a little bit about analytics and um, the role that that's playing. So are you all, you know, as you provide the analytical service uh, going, you, you, you all are getting their information, running analytics on it, taking that information back out to them to say, hey, this is where, you know, we need to improve some, uh, and purchases and savings. Um, so do you find that, that some of these organizations, particularly the smaller ones that don't have those tools, can't afford those tools, that you all really are that um, right arm to them to say, we got it, we're going to go do this, inf- take this information, go run these analytics for you. Yeah. Yeah, in in many ways, and and one of the things that we like to that we like to communicate to our board members and then to our various uh, you know member committees is we're an extension of your sourcing team. You know, so whether you have one person in sourcing or whether you are a you know I'll you know pick on Wellstar or you know Northeast Georgia, one of our other you know large Georgia-based members where they've got you know, a pretty, pretty well-staffed department of extremely talented people that have a lot of resources, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, no matter where you fall on that, on that continuum, you know, we're here to be um, at least, you know, among a lot of things, hopefully, you know, a a force multiplier for you from an analytics standpoint. And, you know, as a, as a nonprofit cooperative, I mean, we are funded by our members. I mean, our members effectively, you know, pay for the cost of partners and, you know, with that, with that investment that they make in us, you know, annually to, to cover our operating expenses, one of the things that we provide back to them is a lot of analytical work. Um, we're, you know, currently evaluating and pretty close, you know, in the next probably three or four weeks, maybe six weeks to making a decision on an advancement of our analytical platform. I mean, we've used historically, you know, a very SQL based environment, um, which is which is robust, but the bigger that we get, I mean, we're representing roughly $10 billion a year in spend now. Um, that makes us one of the largest, you know, regional GPOs and and member aggregation units in, in the country, you know, probably top three or four nationally. And, you know, below the national GPO level, um, but we're looking at the next, the next generation of analytical capability. And, you know, we, we, we hear a lot of the, you know, currently very vogue topic of AI mm-hmm. and advanced analytics and predictive analytics and all of those things. And, you know, it makes for, you know, really good storylines with Hollywood, but at the same time, it also makes for, 
very, very viable tools for us because as as many of the folks on this on, on this uh, podcast, you know, they're listening will know we every hospital has baby season. Every hospital has cardiac season. We have flu season. There is predictability to a certain extent in much of what we do. Um, some of it is apparent. Some of it is not. And we have data integrity tool advancements and predictive capability advancements that we are beginning to really explore. And we're going to make a, a, a fairly strategic investment in that next evolution of generational analytics tools so that we can be even better and that we can be more predictive in understanding what hospitals might need before they realize that they're going to need it. I mean, it, it will help guide our strategic contracting structures. It will help guide our financial decision-making. It will guide where we begin looking before we know we need to look there. And it's something that I think if we were, if we were blind to eventually um, it would be a hindrance to us because we didn't have, have those capabilities. So we are, we're embracing honestly what the next generation of analytics looks like and we're actively exploring that and spending a lot of time working on it and i think it's going to be a tremendous resource uh that we provide as part of our our membership so i'm, I'm very very excited about it it's, as you know from having you know put up with me in the past i'm kind of a closet it junkie and I, I know enough to be dangerous but I, I i'm also i think hopefully smart enough to realize that when something like this is on the horizon, you better be paying attention to it. So that's absolutely what we're doing. Wow, that's fantastic. Uh, and that was that that was leading into my next question, which is where you see um, AI fitting in, but you just beautifully illustrated that. And uh, there's just all this hype and discussion and um, projection about AI. Um, but really, when we bring it into uh, our day to day lives, how can we use it? How can it become important to us? And, yeah. 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 I, th I think the the tool set that we're evaluating now, I mean, we we run through, you know, a lot of analytics through, you know, through brute force and tenacity, just like, you know, everybody else does. But I think this is going to give us the opportunity to be, you know, quite a bit more efficient and and certainly more precise and elegant in the way we go about, you know, analyzing things that are very, very multifactorial and complicated. So, you know, again, I think it's I think it's a very important part of our future. And I think that we will look back in in a very short period of time once we've gone through the onboarding and, and build out of, of this suite of tools. And, and we'll look back and wonder how we did what we did um, without it. And, and I think it's going to be, it, it's kind of interesting the way we frame this up with our team members is they could be very threatened by this, or we could do exactly what we've done, which is said, this is something that is going to allow you to do more and allow you to be even more important, you know, because obviously there's always that threat of, well, I'm going to get replaced by a computer or I'm going to get placed, replaced by a robot or whatever the fear of the day is. And, you know, we're really looking at it from the standpoint of I don't have any extra people laying around. And if and if we can get, you know, if we can get an added layer of efficiency and accuracy in complex analytics because of, of giving 
better and more robust tools to our team members, then that's management's responsibility. And, and we've got to be honest with that. And our employees are extremely involved in this evaluation process. I mean, I'm, I'm like an afterthought. And, and it's, I mean, I love that saying of, you know, I'm the leader. Hey, where'd all my people go? Um, you know, they're already running with this and, and, and investigating and evaluating with our consulting partners and really looking at what's the, what's the right pathway forward for us. So I think strategically, this is one of the most important things that we'll do as we conclude, you know, 2023. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, that's great. Um, as, as we do conclude 2023, do you have, um, do you have anything that you're looking at? Uh, forward to with regards to um, partners and uh, healthcare. What what do you what's your crystal ball tell you about healthcare uh, in the next couple of years? Um, you know, that that is a that is a very complicated question. And I don't <laughs> know if we have enough in our, next, uh, our podcast. <laughs> um, I think, you know, very shortly very briefly obviously we're entering we're entering election season that is going to be a very very interesting and and complex process that i suspect is far beyond our scope or pay grade for discussion for today um but i do think generically speaking um inside the beltway is going to be an interesting interesting time um near term wondering what's going to happen with the potential for government shutdown here in the next Mm -hmm. couple of weeks whether that's uh, hysteria or reality, um, you know, time will time will soon tell. But I think you know more globally, there's there's two or three things that are on the horizon that I, I think all of us need to keep our ear to the ground on. Number one is what is continuing to happen with the Fed and interest rates, um, the producer price index. More importantly, in our world than the CPI, at least at work versus home. You know, the, the PPI has flattened a little bit. So I think we will continue seeing uh, commodity pricing and um, component input pricing, resins, cotton, things like that, that are very, very vital to healthcare uh, commodity production. I think we'll continue seeing those things come down in pricing. Oil is the big, is sort of the big question mark because uh, oil prices are beginning to tick up. You know, you may have seen on the news the last couple of days, you know, $6 a gallon in California. Thankfully, we're in Georgia. But again, you know, the, the price of oil is going to drive a lot of, you know, healthcare, you know, costs, production costs, transportation costs, all the things that go into, into the, the ongoing fossil fuels debate. So outside of inflation, you know, I think one of the most significant things is what is going to happen in the next three three years or so with the the geopolitical environment between the US and China and some of the other you know very significant pre- production countries that we I'll say either begrudgingly work with or work with out of necessity and what is that going to mean to our industry um, you know, in the in the Republican debate last night, there was conversation around, you know, reshoring and continuing to reshore of industry. You know, I think that I think the the conundrum that hospitals find themselves in is what is the cost of US produced, domestically produced, you know, Western hemisphere, nearshore produced, you know, goods that we consume versus those that come from across the Pacific Ocean, which are produced in a much more, you know, cost effective you know, way. And what's the trade-off from that? You know, it's what's the trade-off between 
cost and or support of domestic production here in the U.S. or Mexico, Canada, the Caribbean, Central American countries that have, you know, production facilities, you know, owned by U.S. Com- you know, U.S. companies. So I, I believe that that's going to be a a big big conversation that that we have to come to terms with is you know what are what are we going to start making in America versus what's continuing to be made overseas, and what what are the cost implications of each of those potential directions? So, you know, I think that's something we're really going to have to you know pay very 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 close attention to, and then wrapped around all of that is the probably presently unanswerable question depending on what side of the the hall you sit on whether you're you know left wing or right wing or middle is are we in a recession or not is is a recession coming or not and and i think that the healthcare industry could potentially face its own sort of micro recession depending on what happens with increasing cost pressures and the things that we're having to deal with now we're going to need some relief from that in the near future we're going to have we're going to have a rough couple of years, but we, you know, but our industry, you know, the good times come and bad times come. And there is, you know, one of the things I've learned over my 30 plus years or so working in healthcare and being an ACHE, you know, since I was a military officer and being a fellow now having, you know, just recertified and having to think about getting ready to recertify again, healthcare is comprised of some really darn smart people and we figure stuff out and if there's a group of resilient people that figure out how to live to fight another day it's us and i give us pretty darn good odds of of figuring things out but we'll we'll have some tough days but i have no doubt that this you know this industry that's part of the greatest country on the planet will will do what needs to be done to be successful so Absolutely. I love that. I I couldn't agree more that uh, I have just met some incredibly, incredibly smart, insightful people in this industry. And we um, we will figure it out. We will figure out how to push through. So that is that's great, Dane. And I, um, you know, have learned so much just talking to you in the past few minutes and really appreciate your time. Um, and look forward to uh, hearing more from you and, um, yeah, seeing you more at the Agahi now that you're back in Atlanta. So. Yep. Glad to be here. Glad to yeah. be here. And happy to help and uh, proud to reconnect with uh, with Gahi and you know, ACHE here in Georgia and um, look forward to, to being part of, part of the group that advances our profession. So. Great. Well, thanks again. Right. We appreciate Always. it. Always. Yep. My pleasure. We'll talk to you later, Stephanie. This has been the Gahi Leadership Podcast. For more information, find us online at gahi.org.